Apologetic is conventionally understood as arguments for God or arguments that explain and justify Scripture. But the problem is humans who think their arguments are needed to defend Christianity from the apostate or that Christianity can be defended by argument. We can be as articulate as is possible but if our life contradicts our argument they will go by your actions and not by your arguments. A lot of people think they will get to stand in front of God and argue their case. Wrong. The Book of Life is a scientific report. The Book of Life lays out the detailed findings of the experiment we are all living. What we call life is a scientific experiment. Reality has test and control groups. Those in the Book of Life are in the test group. Anyone whose name is not in the Book of Life is part of the control group. The division between the test and control groups is an objective measure of right and wrong. The experiment determines who has merit and who does not, not based on human criteria but on objective measurement of values. If your name is not in the Book of Life you cannot argue the data. The question then becomes how are we saved in Christ and yet found to be in the Book of Life doing works of merit? Did we earn our way into heaven? First of all, works of faith are works done and in for the church. In this context, works of faith are done as part of the experiment. Works of faith produce value for those in the test group. The test group can be considered the biblical church, but it is important we do not equate this with the humanist church that we see in the control group. To be part of the test group and create value for the church we have to have faith. We do not enter the church by creating value, we create value as part of the church. We are saved by faith. But our faith is in the body of Christ as the manifestation of God on earth. The Bible says what we as a church, loose on earth is loosed in heaven and what we as a body of believers, bind on earth is bound in heaven. But on what basis does the church accept someone into the church? The normal assumption is that when a person is baptized and gives his confession of faith, he becomes a member of the church. That is the conventional reply of the conventional church, but it is not biblical. The path to baptism and confession is not part of the process by which the church binds someone to itself. The binding must come after the outward joining. Baptism and confession are similar to marrying into the church. But the marriage vows do not bind one person to the other, a life of faith does this. This is why faith is the crucial feature of the biblical church. If we do not trust each other, we cannot work together, and without this, works of faith are an unrealistic abstraction. There is a division between the secular world and the church, and the line of division is where faith turns to fear. The key difference between those of faith and those of flesh is encapsulated by the state. The phrase church and state is theologically equivalent to the flesh and spirit or even good and evil. The state encapsulates what the Bible calls Babylon. The state is the harbinger of evil. The church is not just different from the state, it is its polar opposite. The state in fact is a carbuncle on the soul of the church. It is akin to a cancer that lives only within a healthy body which its presence causes to sicken and die. The nature of the church is cooperative, and this is so because it is based on faith. 
its participants trust one another and work to facilitate the mission we each have. There is none of this in the state. If we look closely at the state, it is in an institutional sense, a fetus. It has life but is totally dependent on the civil institutions of society for its sustenance. The state lives by free riding off of the work of others. As with any disease the state has an etiology. In the simplest of terms, the state is rooted in greed but there is also a sense of entitlement. If you listen to a speech by a politician, it will be either about his own entitlement or what his or her supporters are entitled to. The speech of a politician sets out a deal with the devil. If the voter gives the politician what he or she is entitled to, the elected official will ensure the voter gets what he or she is entitled to. Entitlement is a concept that combines a sense of greed with an unwillingness to work. The worker ought to vote for the politician, according to Democrats and liberals, because political leaders have such good ideas and instincts. To help the politician save us from ourselves, politicians need the power to reallocate goods and services to create the best possible mix. The market, say liberals, is not able to allocate resources efficiently. Politicians consider themselves the rational faculty of society. Yet, it has to be asked how good are decisions, made when there is no accountability? The politician has nothing invested in the decisions he or she makes. If he guesses wrong, his livelihood is not threatened nor are his assets at risk. At the very worst he risks being voted out of office. But he usually has a plan B already in place in the form of a job offer from a law firm. The political issue is relevant to a discussion on science, because it illustrates the problem of what do we do with raw data. How do we arrive at the truth if we do not have relevant data or lack the means of processing it? If our data set is based on opinion or worse, the exercise of power, we are engaged in politics, not science. The truth of a statement is not defined by if it enhances our power or limits it. The truth must rest on something more substantial than the prestige of our office. Now we may not think political issues and scientific issues have anything in common, but if scientists are paid for what they do and their work requires the allocation of assets, then political concerns will impact how and where science is done. If your policy is focused on fighting climate change it is natural that more funds will be allocated to those who share your policy concerns than those who oppose them. We have remarked on a division between the hard and soft sciences. The soft sciences have always suffered from their lack of objectivity. The results of the humanities cannot be quantified in a way that points to a clear outcome. This has also made them susceptible to political influence. The political exists in the vacuum of the social sciences. Because science cannot tell us what is right and wrong or even what is better or best, we give humans the task. But ultimately if there is no objective measure of right and wrong, all we have to go on is their emotional reaction to events. But is murder wrong because we find the event repulsive? When faced with competing opinions, the social sciences have no objective way to decide the right course of action. This also means there is no way to determine if a third option was available. 
politicians have no way to decide if both of the choices they are given ought to be rejected. The reality is, there is rarely a time when politicians need to choose between options. It is more of a question of how much ought to be done than if anything ought to be done at all. The average person always has budget constraints, but this is not something that seriously impedes government spending. Physics studies forces, chemistry studies reactions, and biology studies life. Apologetic studies faith. But if apologetic is a science, then it requires a measure of faith. Natural law is an observation made of a predictable event. If the event is predictable enough to enable a law to be established relating to it, then we can have faith in the predictability of the event. We also know that if we stop at a red stop signal, it will turn green. But this takes us to the real issue, which is in what do we believe? Christians say we have faith in the future. This faith must be linked to the faith we have in our species. Yet, we know human beings cannot be trusted and so on what foundation is this faith established? If we are to be ready to give an answer to all those who inquire as to the reason for the faith we have, faith has to be based on a regularity, a reoccurring event. The faithful need something that justifies the faith they have by its regularity and reliability. It is one thing to observe a regular physical event and encapsulate its regularity into concise description. It is another kind of thing, to know a person for many years and never know them to have stolen anything or to have intentionally harmed anyone. We can have faith in these things for the same reason. But even so, our faith in these cases is based on just our personal experience and we know we are prone to misjudgment. We can be misled and lied to. The Bible tells us that what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, but the Bible is talking to the church, not to an individual, not even to Peter or the pontiff. The church is even given a process by which a person is bound or loosened, depending on the person's relationship with the church. In the simplest of explanations, the one bound is the one who is bound by the works of faith they do. Works of faith are works that add value to the church. If you add value to the church, you are expressing faith in those who compose the church. We are bound on earth by our relationship with those who form the church. People are saved by faith, but this does not always mean what liberal believers think it means. We are bound by our faith in those who make up the church. Our faith in the church is expressed as works of faith. Unfortunately, way too many people believe faith has nothing to do with the church. In a liberal church, the church performs the sacraments and stays out of the relationship between Christ and his follower. But it does not work like that in the biblical church. The body of Christ is the church. If your view of church is an official that performs sacraments and sermons for a membership, you have an ecclesiastical view of church not borne out by Scripture. Faith in Christ is what saves us, and Christ chooses us as His own, because these are the ones chosen by God. This is ordained since before the dawn of time, because God does not work in time. What God does outside of time is done temporally by man. The church picks who is a believer as the believer chooses the church. It is a symbiosis of church and believer.
the church is the plural of believer. That being said, if the believer in church was solely a human-designed organization it would be secular. And so, this is the great mystery. How does the church reflect the will of God? What is the process by which the organization of Christians becomes a church? The simple answer is by means of science. The concept of objectivity refers to opinions based on data independent of human concerns and needs. The truth is the truth. We do not become Christians on our say-so. We must be bound by the church, to itself, on earth. We all know what a foot length is, and we all know when someone is short selling us as to the weight we buy, because these standards have been, well, standardized. But there are no objective standards for politics, economics, and religion. Apologetic is a universal science that changes this. Apologetic puts politics, economics, and religion on an empirical footing. The basic unit of measure in apologetic is an act of faith, called a prefer. Acts of faith add value to assets. Thus, acts of faith are done in the name of God for the people of God as an act of faith in the Church of God. This may need some explaining. If you give me a hammer, you have added value to my assets. This is an act of faith because you have harmed yourself with your act of charity. But you expect to have your generosity reimbursed in some way, even if indirectly, by the community being made a better and more prosperous place. We cannot all take, and no one give, because that is logically impossible. Nor can we all give, and no one take. This is also, logically impossible. If some always take and others always give, we have a situation of freeloading or parasitism. This is evil and unsustainable. But to some extent this is the situation that exists in the West. The only logical possibility is for everyone to give and everyone to receive in equal amounts or create what we call a market. This is the only sustainable configuration. The market is supposed to keep the activity of buyers and sellers in balance. This is where science comes in, because without accurate date on costs how can we make exchanges balance out? Scientific truth requires a quantified standard by which two choices or variables are quantified. The cost is the seller's price, and the value is the buyer's price, and these must correlate for an exchange to happen. The problem with the state and the socializing of costs is that socialism introduces random variable into the buyer-slash-seller equation. In some cases, a buyer would buy an item, but the sales tax has made the item too expensive to purchase. Privatization removes unaccounted variables from economic exchanges. If we understand social costs as alien to the real costs of production, then adding on the costs of a public agenda creates costs that have not been accounted for in the pricing model. Adding costs onto a product to benefit a person who did not add value to the asset is free riding. The costs created by free riding are costs that cannot be morally or scientifically justified. The physical sciences used to be thought of as a search for truth, but when it was pointed out empirical science could not establish the truth, science became a methodology for confirming hypotheses. 
but there are always qualifications and questions with every empirical test, so, no proposition is ever fully confirmed. A universal science needs a single arbitrating variable or standard. This means a universal science establishes some factor common to all lines of investigation. This suggests science needs to be once more a search for the truth. There is or must be something common to all research that is uncovered when we do science. If something makes no sense or is a contradiction, we cannot have faith in it. More importantly, we come to doubt and distrust those who lie or who are beguiled into spreading false narratives. But this only gives us a general insight into what science is after. We need a more precise determination of value if by value we mean truth. Truth has scientific value for us. Just because we are doing science does not mean it has to be undirected or even aimless. Why ought not the science we do be directed towards the accumulation of truth? If businesses can be organized to accumulate wealth, why cannot the sciences be so formed to have direction and accountability? This idea goes back to the fundamental relationship of buyer and seller and the impossibility of having a rational system that does not balance cost with value. We must give equal to what we get and get equal to what we give. Why ought science just works at whatever it wills without any accountability as to what it produces, if anything? The privatization of the system means the elimination of the public sphere and all sources of freeloading. Privatization leaves us with nothing more than buyers and sellers and the market that handles the exchanges. But is science a freeloader and if so, can freeloading and science be eliminated? Empirical science is parasitic in that it is not tied to the market. This may offend a lot of persons, but if one is creating value there ought not be a problem. Science as a human activity ought to be subject to objective criteria. For this to happen the science, and more especially the humanities, will need to be privatized and be made part of the universal science of apologetic. Remember apologetic is not just about legitimizing or analyzing scripture, apologetic is about faith and justifying the faith we have, by demonstrating what we can have faith in, can be traced back to God. This includes not just explanations for observable phenomenon, but solutions to our social problems. The solutions that work are discoverable in Scripture and Scripture alone. Solutions to the problems we are having with our monetary systems, solutions to homelessness and poverty and more, are in Scripture and nowhere else. By focusing on faith in an objective way, we come to precise and doable solutions. But we need to understand faith as a measurable factor. We need to discover faith as an objective measure of truth. We cannot trust lies. We cannot have faith in unreliable data. When people are proved untrustworthy, we cannot have faith in them. There has to be an accounting. When people are trying to scam us and deprive us of what is ours, by right we cannot live in faith with them. We cannot trust them. The data they provide is necessarily suspect. This is why we need an objective measure of truth. This is why we need to live in the Spirit with the people of God, because this gives us reliable data on which to make our decisions on. 
this is why we have to systematically eliminate the state and its adjutants. The state is not a source of reliable information. It does not operate in truth. We need to separate from the state, as the church, and establish a body of believers we can have faith in. The source of faith is truth for we cannot have faith in anything less than the truth. The key component of our faith is a new monetary system. The present one is an affront to God. Conventional currency systems use what God created to destroy the faith we have in Him. It is said in the Bible that those who the church binds on earth are bound in heaven and those loosed on earth are loosed in heaven. But the church does not do this on the strength of its own authority. The church is not a regulatory body. The church is not a centralized system in which one human gets to decide the fate of other people. This teaching would be an abomination. Though this is what the Catholic Church has decided to teach. Protestantism unfortunately did not fully address the issue of subjectivity and the measure of truth, so ended up embedded in the state. The Protestant Reformation corrected some errors the Catholics had made but it has hardly been biblical in the establishment of the church. Christians have not grasped the central importance of faith or that it can and needs to be quantified. This can only be attributed to its unwillingness to divide itself from the ways of the flesh. The ability of the church to bind believers is not administrative, it is organic. It is by the faith of the person that he or she is saved. That salvation is a spiritual event does not mean it cannot be quantified. To quantify faith and make faith the centerpiece of an empirical science, we need to conduct an experiment with test and control groups. It is within the context of an experiment that we determine objectively the results of the experiment. The control group is the world as we know it. But for the sake of convenience, we associate the control group with the liberal system. Liberalism is all that most people know. This is true with few exceptions. The liberal world is based in the law and the powers of the state. We will not discuss how the state operates here as it has been dealt with in previous discussions. The test group is based on faith, but it is a faith in the church, and it is a faith that is quantifiable. We are not bound on earth by subjective evaluations or being able to fit in with the in-group. The church is not composed of flesh nor defined by physical attributes such as race, as physical features are properly considered part of the control group. A better understanding of the faith group is to view it as based on information, or validated by information the church has faith in. Trust is an essential component of the test group. Which brings us to the question of how do we trust people who may be gaining our trust to take advantage of us? How do we account for the dishonest person? The answer is given by science and the capacity for scientific experiments to provide us with accurate data. The church must quantify faith and link this empirical evidence of faith to the believer. Works of faith add value to the things of God. They bear fruit. This value can be quantified. Value added to assets is equity and equity is expressed as preferred shares. One preferred share corresponds to one unit of value. Value is added to assets by labor, so the source of all value is the amount of labor added to an asset. 
An hour of work creates one hour's worth of preferred shares, which is the equivalent of a living wage. If a living wage is equal to 20 units of equity, then every hour of work would produce 20 units of equity. Equity is issued in preferred shares. This may be contracted to prefers and designated by the symbol when utilized as a currency. The church knows when someone adds value to the things of God, because value is generated by the work done in the church for the church by the church. People who generate value work for the people of God as the church. But the church must operate as a test group, not as an instructional institution for milk-fed Christians. If the church is not constructed according to the tenets of Scripture, it cannot bind believers and loose unbelievers. The church is built by the test group's participation in the experiment. If you wish to know more about participating in the experiment to prove the existence of God, the reliability of Scripture and the superiority of the church as an economic development model, visit our website at apriorian.com.